You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radiocoms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. Man, this is a long time coming. We had a man on the show a year ago. We were talking about earthquake safety, and she covered all these really great areas. We said we were going to have her back on the show. We are which is really great. She is the Leslie Nope of earthquakes, AKA the Buffalo bill of earthquakes. If you saw the last episode, you can call her BB for short. She's super cool, but she's definitely an earthquake expert out of there at FEMA region 10. And we were talking, we're collaborating about uh, this episode and we've been talking a lot about interoperability lately. And she's like, Hey, I have an urban planning background, but I have two really great partners, counterparts in FEMA region nine with Anne and FEMA region eight, I believe with Sean. And they have, uh, respectively, a, a, a geology and an engineering background. And so even in the singular topic of earthquake safety, we have all these different perspectives that we can bring in. So I'm really excited for this episode. Group, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So, Amanda, you being the uh, one of the three points here in this uh, in this group, can you introduce your counterparts for the show? Yes, I would love to introduce my counterparts. So um, the three of us um, are the represent the collective Western half of the US uh, with FEMA. And we are all one man shops for FEMA's earthquake program in the regions. So I'm in region 10, which is Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Alaska. And uh, we've got a whole bunch of earthquake issues there. Um, and then I'll kick it over to, um, oh, and I guess you said I'm an urban planner. Um, I have a geology background, um, also English major. Um, but I, so I, I feel like I'm really good at helping talk about like the social interdependencies on infrastructure and kind of linking the people and the built environment together. Um, I'll kick it over to Anne to introduce herself in Region 9. Hi, I'm Anne Rosinski. I'm the Earthquake Program Manager in Region 9. And Region 9 is California, Arizona, Nevada, but also Hawaii, Guam, the 
Commonwealth of Northern Marianas Islands and American Samoa. And uh, I have a, a master's in engineering geology, and I also have an English degree. So Leslie Nope and I have that in common. <laughs> um, but one of the things that's great about Region uh, 9 is we have pretty much all different types of earthquake hazards. We have Basin and Range in Nevada. We have Strike Slip, San Andreas. We have Subduction. We have Hotspot. We have Volcanic. So never a dull moment here in Region 9. All right. That got, wait, wait, Sean, first, are you an English major? Far from it. Uh, yeah, I'm Sean McGowan. I'm a, a structural engineer and I'm the earthquake program manager for FEMA Region 8. And we're based in Denver, Colorado. And our states include Colorado, Montana, Utah, Wyoming, and North and South Dakota. And yeah, happy to be here and love working with this team. That's awesome. Yeah. In fact, uh, I've heard and uh, seen a little bit. In fact, I did a little bit of research after I talked with Amanda last time. Um, you guys are really trying to work on some innovative uh, approaches and in, in, earthquake safety and understanding building codes and uh, trying to move communities forward towards better earthquake safety. Now, as a guy who lives in St. Louis, so I'm uh, definitely east of all three of you, um, largest, I believe, liquefaction zone in the continental U.S. Where's our earthquake person here? But um, maybe I can represent uh, from the private sector side. So like just trying to think of earthquake safety and moving that forward. Uh, maybe actually I'll, I'll go back the other way this time. So Sean, can you talk about some of the innovative approaches that, um, um, you know, that you guys have been trying to do the three of you together? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So I think we all realized pretty early on, that, as Amanda said, you know, it's, I think Anne's the only full-time earthquake program manager in the regional offices. And, and the point of having a regional office is to have a closer connection with the States in that area. But I think we realized pretty quickly, there's a lot to do and the risk is huge but there's only one of us at most in our offices. And so we realized pretty quickly, hey, we have complementary skill sets. So how do we work together instead of saying, let me try to learn about geology and urban planning and how it all fits together. Like, why don't I lean on my peers and then they can lean on me when it's their turn. And really, I think we really work hard to make sure that we're not reinventing the wheel and we make sure that we're leveraging each other and just saying, hey, I know it's short notice. Can you help me out with something? Or, uh, hey, do you know anything about building codes? Or how about this geology or what? What is the urban planning take on this? So it's a really cool dynamic way to, to really balance ideas off each other. I think it's kind of how, how government's supposed to work. We're pretty excited about that. That's awesome. So I'm going to throw FEMA under the bus. It's probably not a good idea for talking about lots of FEMA people. But historically, like I've been saying uh, very publicly, um, said it to the DOD, said it to NATO recently, saying it to FEMA. In fact, Brock Long said it himself on this podcast that FEMA is really a funding organization. And um, what you three are trying to do is what I would say is truly emergency management of like looking at it from an emergency management uh, perspective and not just like a grants program. And so maybe like, Anne, could you like kind of go through like, I'm not talking about the grant side, but from like actually like mitigating earthquakes, what are some of the three of the projects that you guys have been working on together? So uh, we've been working on... uh we look at it from different perspectives. So uh, one of the projects I've been working on is earthquake insurance. And I'm not an earthquake insurance expert, but I you know, have earthquake insurance myself. And I realized, and I live in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And earthquake, we are lucky in California that we actually have the California Earthquake Authority. We have formal earthquake insurance uh, pathway, but the other states don't have that as much. But that doesn't mean that earthquake insurance is out of reach. 
and does, earthquakes can wreck your finances. So there are new, what we want to do is encourage people to look into what their options are, because it, whether you're a homeowner or a renter, whether you're a student or a, you have a young family or you're retired, look at what your circumstances are and what you have to lose. And it's, it's, you can, you can do a lot to, um, give yourself a cushion. So one of the, one of the great things is that the, you can, there are different policies. There's a new pol type of policy out there called parametric and it's a flat rate. It's just something that you pay a certain amount every month. And you, if you are in an area where a certain level of earthquake shaking happens, you get a payout and you can use it on anything. And the thing about earthquakes, you know, is that even if your structure, your home is safe and nothing is damaged, the rest of the community might be, and it might, so I live in Oakland, I, our office is in Oakland and I live in San Francisco. So if I had to get to the office and the Bay Bridge is out, all of a sudden my commute becomes a lot more expensive. So having that cushion um, is one, um, you know, one great resource to have. So that's, that's one project. Sean has also been working on unreinforced masonry. He's, got a, he's really done a great job starting that project and grassroots and building community support. Amanda's been doing a lot with building codes and helping to retrofit schools. And that, so between the three, and so all of these topics are important to all of our regions, but each one of us is taking the lead on one of those topics and then we can share them across. And the earthquake insurance uh, project, we developed a little one page graphic and the idea was to create something that was um, a template that can be used in the other states for, for their earthquake insurance needs as well. So really trying to help each other and expand on what we can each do. So you're talking, so tangent number one, right? Inject, we'll call it an inject, the, the yeah. audience. The, going out to um, the wildfires in California and uh, responding to those, um, I was out there most recently in uh, July uh, Cal OES gave me a call and said, Hey, I uh, heard you're going to be with, uh, working with the tribe. Can you stop by and kind of review some stuff for us? And so I, I was lucky enough to go over there and look at that. But a big problem we've had historically in talking about insurance on earthquake safety is like most people don't have fire wildfire insurance in California. At least they didn't until like a recent law was passed. And that's a big issue. You know, a, a small problem becomes a very big problem. And when you have a big problem it becomes catastrophic without you know, the supportive systems. And so I'm going to round this whole collaborative environment back to uh, the Buffalo Bill. I should stop calling you that really. It's a, it's an endearing term, Amanda. You, you, you just, you just, you nodded, which means you recognize the title. Anyways, Amanda, I'm going to bring it back to you and say, okay, like insurance is a major issue, but also there's things to do to like prevent, like with wildfires, mm -hmm. clearing debris around your house for 20 meters dramatically increases your chance to stay. You and I talked a little bit about this before with building codes. How are building codes on, especially on an individual level, not even critical infrastructure, how can that change the impact levels of a of major earthquake? Yeah, so great question. Um, building codes are often, um, they're just, they're intimidating to talk about, right? Um, I'm not a structural engineer and for the longest time, um, you know, I've heard people say, well, you got to look at the codes. And I'm like, I, how do I, how, what, where, what are the codes? Where do I even look? 
Um, you know, they're frequently referred to as, you know, like, well, according to ASCE 7-16, which is the American, Soci American Society of Civil Engineers, and that is the chapter of codes, because there are so many, that talks about, like, lateral loading forces um, specific to tsunamis. So, like, I only know that because Sean is a structural engineer and he's been like, oh yeah, well, if you, you know, he can point me to what these resources are. And for starters in emergency management, so much of planning is done by either the emergency manager or by the community planner. And none of those people, neither of those people are engineers or building officials. And so for starters, bringing your building official to the table to talk about emergency management is so important. Um, so you should not, as an emergency manager, be expected to learn all of the things about codes. You bring in the expert. That, that's what emergency managers do, right? Is you bring in the smart people. Um, but to that point, um, FEMA just, I think it was this week, just released um, a fact sheet on like five reasons why building codes matter to you. And it gets into like social and economic interdependencies on infrastructure. And um, well, I think um, that specific article that FEMA pushed out is specific to flooding for the most part for earthquake hazards, building codes are bare minimums focused on life safety. So what that means is that building codes are designed to, the, the structure is designed to not collapse. So it's meant so that you won't die in an earthquake. But that being said, um, older buildings like unreinforced masonry buildings or soft story structures, those were designed before we really fully understood the performance of buildings in earthquakes, right? Like science has advanced. So we know that there's all these older buildings that need to be uh, reinforced or retrofitted to be able to withstand earthquakes. Um, but then there's also current guidance on, well, what should building codes be for, for earthquakes? And FEMA has the NEHRP provisions, which I have tried to read and they, whew, I'm not an engineer, too much for me. But as an emergency manager, I am able to say to a community, this is what you should adopt bring in your building official to talk about how we can implement this. And FEMA can help with training. FEMA can help you with code analysis to know where your weaknesses are and what opportunities there are. But then also um, as a result of the Christchurch earthquake, and I know I'm like going I like it. Here. No, we're all um, learning here. So it's good. Yeah. Okay. So as a result of um, what happened in, uh, yeah, just, just you can <laughs> listen to this as you fall asleep. Um, as you, um, after Christchurch earthquake happened um, in New Zealand, we saw that, um, well, the buildings, the, the death toll was minimal for the most part. The deaths that did happen were around a few unreinforced masonry buildings, um, but they had to demolish so many structures. And then like the, the demolition costs and then landfill costs of that were huge. And so um, NEHRP, which sounds like a disease, but it's the National Earthquake Hazard Reduction Program uh -huh. that is composed of FEMA and NIST and USGS and the NSF. 
uh, they were told by Congress, you need to look into this issue of building performance. Why are we designing buildings that aren't withstanding earthquake shaking? Like, why aren't we thinking about functional recovery is what they call it, or being operational after an earthquake? And so um, this guidance came out, again, very engineering heavy, but the, the point of it was that we need to be considering more than just structural performance with our building codes and modern building codes don't do that. So it's really important that as emergency managers, we bring in our stakeholders to talk about, okay, post earthquake, what do we want to be operational? How much downtime are we willing to accept? And if we're not gonna change our codes and build stronger and smarter, then how are we planning for response and recovery? Because we know how much uh, damage and impacts to be expected. Okay. If I could add on to that, I think it's also it also goes to social equity because we know that um, socially vulnerable populations are disproportionately affected, and in, in all of our in the West Coast, in, you know, uh, real estate and rent is at a premium. It's bananas. And that's just under normal conditions. So if the, to the extent that we can improve our building stock through better building back better and building back, back from this building, not even just building back, but right from the base, build back better so that things survive, then we have a housing stock that's going to be reliable before, during, and after because people are going to be displaced. So it's not just about the earthquake. It's not just about when it happens. It's about before and after as well. And it is something that it only takes a, it, it only. It's a few pennies, and, you know, on the dollar more in terms of cost to do that. But what you achieve from that is tremendous. And I think it's we really need to emphasize to people: earthquakes are different from other perils. They will simultaneously and instantaneously impact an entire region. A fire will happen, you might have a lightning strike and it can spread very rapidly, or you could have a flood that will evolve over time, but you have the, you can see the, the weather forecast, you know it's coming. Earthquakes are truly no notice and the, the impact that they have, like I say, it simultaneously, instantaneously can devastate a region. So if we can get people to do this ahead of time, it's a great benefit. I, I need to stop you. I watched San Andreas and excuse me, ma'am. Amazing technology out there that can tell us that, uh, that the 10 is coming. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good point. Um, and I'm sure John's going to jump in here real quick. I could tell the thinker, all three of you are thinkers. So this is good. Um, but like in terms of, so my perspective of emergency management is, if I had to give a definition, I tell people emergency management is protecting life, property, and continuity of operations. And the last three minutes, both of you, uh, you know, Leslie, no, Amanda Sayak, whatever, uh, and and you just bit, you hit on all three of those systems simultaneously. And in terms of a natural disaster, very, I'm trying to think of like another one that would hit all three instantaneously. Um, there's the man-made stuff that we definitely look at that can do all of that instantaneously, including now um, we're, we're looking at other systems like cyber. You, you turn off, you know, turn off the power, you, you inflict uh, a lot of pain to a hospital system that can affect life property and continuity operations for sure. But, um, you know, this is like a, this is a truly unique 
uh, situation that we're having to deal with. I will say that uh, I, I'll maybe I'll let just go around round robin back to to Sean here. the The issue is you have well, how do I say this? You have a a friend on your side, which is typically not on your side, which is social media. And social media is allowing other people to realize earthquakes happen all the time. And um, I responded to Haiti this summer. That was an earthquake event. And it was also a definitely a man-made uh, incident as well because the gangs, um, and you can look at that podcast episode if anybody's um, wanting to know more about what happened there. But um, in terms of the earthquake, building codes mattered a lot. So social media is a, is a big proponent of helping you out realizing it happens. But historically, earthquakes are so far apart. It's hard to get traction. I mean, when you're an earthquake country, it's a lot easier. But St. Louis, for example, where I live, is sitting on top of a very vulnerable piece of land, and they build a city there. And it's like, uh-oh, um, you know, like this could, this could be a problem in the future. So how do you work with stakeholders on maybe internal and external of saying, hey, earthquakes are important because they are, they are no notice, um, unlike San Andreas. Um, I'm super, still, uh, that documentary was a really good documentary, by the way. Um, <laughs> my eyelid's twitching right now. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. There's another podcast called Movie R that's coming out. Uh, where we we go through all the disasters that happen, uh, all the events that happen in San Andreas, including, by the way, this is a huge tangent, um, how he left his post and stole federal vehicles to go save his family. And like San Andreas, too, will be escaping from Santa Quinn because he's like totally stealing all the anyways. Um, side note. So how do you convince all these people that this is really important stuff because you're like, hey, I've li- you're, you could be like the guy on the volcano, right? I've lived here for 40 years. It's never gone. Why do I have to leave Mount St. Helens? How do you convince people that this is really important? And to some extent, like that is, is the question. Because, you know, I can, I can throw structural engineering facts at people. I can say, hey, building codes were never meant to be aspirational. They're supposed to be acceptable. Like that's the minimum. You're supposed to be going, I think we treat building codes like, oh, if you've done that, you're safe. And I think as Amanda pointed out, like yeah. FEMA, some sister agencies are working hard on that issue. I think helping spread the word that even, even current buildings aren't necessarily going to meet the standard of what we want as a resilient community. I think that's really important. And then say, now imagine your brick building that was built in the 60s. You might be living in a death trap. But rather than just freak people out and say, hey, your family's going to die in an earthquake, it's much more effective to say, we understand, you're, we know you're at risk. We want to share this information. We know you're just trying to make like pay bills. You're in the middle of a pandemic. Maybe you're out of a job. Like, here's some resources, like funding availability. Here's like low cost options to to do things in your home that can make it safer. I think it's always about, hey, here's the problem, but then like, how do we link you to the solution? I think that's like you mentioned, like FEMA has has a pretty decent sized checkbook for grant programs, and I think sort of an old school mentality of like we just give out checks and we walk away. I think like maybe that's like old FEMA, whereas new FEMA is like, hey, we have a check, but we walk alongside with you and we say, here, here's how to put that need a good use and work with states on technical assistance. You know, we're doing that right now with the state of Utah, where we're giving them money to work on unreinforced masonry buildings, which are old brick buildings that don't have steel rebar in them to hold them together during earthquakes. So they're, they're vulnerable to earthquakes. But we said, hey, here's some money to help fix that problem. But also like, I'm an engineer, my colleagues are engineers, they're urban planners, GIS folks. How do we bring a team to walk with you on that process and help you 
make the best use of that taxpayer money and actually keep people safe and make them, we ultimately want everybody to sleep at night. And, you know, I'm a father, I want my kids safe, I want my kids school safe. And that's all anybody wants is just to be able to sleep at night knowing that their family's taken care of. Yeah, I think you're, uh, you're hitting on a chord there for sure of like, uh, and Anne, you brought this up too, pennies on the dollar of like uh, yeah. the impact versus the, so in fact, um, Amanda brought this up on the um, previous episode, previous episode. Um, um, it was the, um, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, the, the temple there, right? In Salt, Salt Lake. And um, I'm a member of the faith. And so I got to see all these cool pictures that they talked about it uh, recently and um, I was like, oh, hey, Amanda's talking about it. FEMA's talking about it. And uh, seeing like the, the actual updates on the pictures. Um, and so it's like, okay, like this is really important uh, to these uh, to these people to make sure that buildings last, last forever is yeah. what they're saying, right? And you have uh, un, un, unenforced uh, masonry buildings you, and you have to like add systems to be able to make them last longer. I was just in LA, LAESC just added a bunch of, uh, things the last couple of years as they redid their facility to be able to deal with earthquakes. And so people are starting to turn to look at it, whether it's, yeah. I don't know if it's private sector, but you know, churches are looking at it. State agencies are looking at it. Local agencies are looking at it. People don't want their stuff to be impacted. Yeah. And um, I think that's a really easy pitch to be honest. It's like, do you want your life to be difficult and annoying and dealing with a bunch of litigation and maybe death? Or do you want to like go to bed at night? And um, I think uh, President Nelson said it himself, the, the leader of the church. He's like, I want to go into the temple and not have an issue. I would just want to be safe in there. And I think that's a great way to look at things. Um, but going I'm back. Gonna, I'm going to add, yeah. add something in there. Um, sorry to interrupt you. Um, You're but always I think... welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. right now, it, there there's this really, you know, this past year has been insane. I mean, with COVID and the wildfires and um, Sean responded to an earthquake, you know, in the first few weeks of the pandemic. Um, but there is this um, global attention being given to resilience right now. And most of it is through the lens of climate change, right? So we're seeing more, um, we're seeing a higher frequency of disasters, we're seeing higher intensity storms. And there is this, um, especially within the US, there is this attention being given to infrastructure and resilience to climate change. And a lot of that focuses on reducing carbon emissions or strengthening buildings for climate change. And I um, you know, my, my dream here is that we can integrate seismic reinforcements into that. So if you are uh, reducing carbon emissions of a building and, you know, working on installation or sorry, insulation in it so that it is more efficient with heating and cooling, make sure the roof frame is connected to the wall frame. <laughs> seismic issue right there. And so like we don't have to do seismic projects separate from flood, separate from climate change, separate from wildfire. We should be looking more holistically at multi-benefit mitigation, multi-hazard mitigation. And, um, you know, FEMA right now, and I, granted, this is not a FEMA-only issue. Um, this is a community, local, it starts local, right? Um, but FEMA has 
so much money in mitigation right now. So um, because of the COVID declaration, there was like $3.4 billion given through hazard mitigation grant program funds, HMGP. And our um, current brick um, building resilient infrastructure and communities grant is a billion dollars. So as a mitigator, we've been asking for money for so long and we finally have it. And I'm, um, I'm terrified that all of this money is going to go strictly to flooding. Government emergency that, management. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you want to lead the earthquake retrofits, like mm. I support it. Um, but it's just right now there is money available and it's really important for local emergency managers to be applying for this money, like show that you have a need. And, you know, if there isn't enough money from FEMA, that will, that will speak volumes that there is not enough money to solve this issue. And if I could, and this is how, this is how Sean and Amanda and I work. We finish each other's senses and we spark off each other. So to add to what Amanda said, um, the other, you know, there is no such thing as earthquake weather, but climate change does have some connections to earthquakes. So as sea level rises, perils like liquefaction, earthquake-induced ground failure, the, the groundwater becomes more shallow farther inward so that that area that's impacted by liquefaction increases. So tying this back to the funding that's available, building resilient infrastructure community brick, um, you know, that you can tie together climate change challenges like sea level rise to seismic issues and you can get additional points on your application by addressing those multi-hazard approaches and also nature-based solutions so there are a lot of i've always been fascinated by the use of different um, by, um, uh, botanical like, um, solutions like um, to reinforce stream banks and things like that and those, some of those techniques could be used for you know, other types of ground failure as well. So being creative, thinking about how some of those other um, issues might affect you. And even something like as, as the climate you know, changes and warming occurs, um, there's also you know, there's permafrost that's melting. So a lot of foundations mm -hmm. in areas like Alaska where they design foundations to do to address permafrost and be, you know, as the ground melts, well, then, then there's potential for liquefaction. And again, this comes back to building codes because building codes require to do a site investigation so that when you're designing your structure, you know exactly what you're designing for and you can get more bang for your buck. Okay, then, and I'm going to ask you the follow-up question to that. You're talking about liquefaction, by the way, my ear is always like, you know, because St. Louis guy over here, uh, liquefaction, uh-oh. Uh, yeah, you talk about uh, liquefaction. I think of uh, uh, was it 1978 Alaska? Um, you know that they had a, a major issue there. Um, basically, 64, 64, yeah. 78, 64. Good Friday, 64. Good Friday. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's th thanks. Thank you, Leslie. No. Um, okay, so Amanda, like, or uh, Anne, sorry. The um, the, th the thought process in there is with piggybacking off of what Amanda said, I'm an emergency manager, right? Let's say I'm an emergency manager at a county in California. You're my region nine counterpart. Uh, great shakeout is happening. We got that, uh, that plug. Thanks for, for Sean. We can talk about that in a second, but telling people to like, 
I don't know, go under a desk and deal with shaking is clearly not enough. What can emergency managers do right now to, to say, hey, I don't even know. You say liquefaction, someone's going over get like, you know, their bottle of water. They don't even know what you mean by that. There's like really basic language that that is missing. Yes. I will say caveat, watch Amanda's episode from last year. You know what that means. But like, how can they start learning right now, especially while we're thinking about earthquakes? That's a great question. And before I answer, I do want to give a shout out to you since you keep saying you're mentioning you're in St. Louis. We have colleagues across the country. So even though the three of us are regions eight, nine and ten, we have colleagues in all the other regions. So Shape Coma, who's in region seven and we have, you know, Bartmore in region six and uh Jose LeBron, who's in, up in Region 2, who works with all the, the um, challenges in Puerto Rico. Across the country, big and small, we, you know, all of our earthquake program managers are really knowledgeable. So it's not, I just want to emphasize that in this podcast, even though we're on the West Coast, our counterparts and the other, the rest of FEMA are just in headquarters, they're, they're a great group. But Absolutely. to come back to your question too, um, there's a lot of great resources out there and what, what emergency managers can do, there are scenarios. So for instance, there's the, the USGS has scenarios for Cascadia, which I'm sure you've heard of the Cascadia subduction zone. And we have the haywired scenario and those scenarios have improved over time. They talk not just about what's likely to happen with the earthquake in terms of the shaking and the ground failure, but what are the social impacts so, and they, what they, and those, the, the value of those scenarios has, has expanded over time because they talk about those impacts and they include uh, uh, appendices that talk about the specific types of damage. So as an emergency manager, I would look at those things and I would, I would like pull off the haywire scenario and I'd look and see, Something like, well, one of the appendices talks about the number of buildings that have and the number of people that are going to get trapped in elevators. So as an emergency manager, it may be meet with your public safety team, your GIS team, your fire chief, get together and say, okay, let's see if we can map out where are the tall buildings. Because with, with elevators, buildings that are taller than seven stories, the elevators tend to be electric. They have to be. But they're, if they're a shorter building, seven or fewer stories, they tend to be, the um, elevators are typically pneumatic. So when the power goes out, the elevator is just going to go back down to the first floor. So as an emergency manager, you can start thinking ahead of time, okay, where are the tall buildings? Where are the buildings that are likely to, where people are going to be trapped? What is our game plan? You know, are there, are, are those hospitals? And, you know, hospitals have, are built to a different standard, but you know, start thinking about these. You can also, activities like a building inventory, that's a vanilla baseline. I call it the sort of gateway drug to mitigation because you have to know where your hazard is. You have to know your vulnerabilities. A building inventory is a great place to start. And one of the fields you can add is the age. And so older buildings tend to be shorter because as engineering has improved, buildings have gotten taller. So there's a lot of information that there are lots of different ways you can slice and dice that information ahead of time and be making more informed decisions and planning what your game plan is going to be. You can be thinking ahead of time that it's helping you develop projects you can develop for mitigation. And then afterwards, what kinds, then you know what types of projects you want to start highlighting and, and prioritizing for those disaster funds. 
So it's taking a holistic approach. I have three FEMA shirts on screen right now. I have two English majors on screen right now. And what you're talking about is what I believe in mitigation. And a lot of the field is still learning this and or there was this argument here for a second. Um, because of the requirements of FEMA, and I'm not trying to discredit FEMA here, but in a hazard mitigation plan, I don't care what FEMA says, the local emergency manager says, I'm going to get my required hazard mitigation plan so after the disaster, I can mitigate. And what I've been saying is, if you look at the word mitigate, it's supposed to be happened before. And you also said something earlier, you said build back better. Again, under federal law right now, we don't really build back better. We build up to as is. That's the requirement. Sometimes we have mitigation groups who are like, hey, let's turn that highly vulnerable area into a park. And then that local area says, no, I want to go back to there. Hi, Ninth Ward, Katrina. And so you're talking about that. By the way, you, you mentioned something else that like really rung a bell in terms of like using the natural environment. Uh, I'm, there's another tangent all about injects today, apparently. Um, the New York City with the oyster reefs and um, Katrina with, or sorry, Louisiana with uh, their marshes. That's how they're trying to stop the impacts of hurricanes. So mm -hmm. there's definitely the natural environment there. Also randomly um, erosion and wolves back into um, Yellowstone. So there's a lot of things that you're talking about here, but mitigating disaster before a, an incident is what I believe mitigation should be. But honestly, again, I have three FEMA shirts here and I'm a former FEMA guy myself. Are you talking about the FEMA of the future or the emergency? Don't even don't talk for FEMA for yourself. Are you talking about the emergency of the manager of the future needs to look at mitigation? I'm hoping you say yes here before the incident. Mitigation should be before. hundred percent. I can't figure yeah. out why recovery and mitigation are are synonymous in our in our methodologies. And when I say there methodologies, are, I really mean in practice, right? There are triggers in the recovery process that uh, require um, things to be built to modern codes. So um, we're not always putting back what well, we're building. Well, I don't think we're like 1800s, so. like in infrastructure here. We're not talking about that. But if somebody shouldn't be living in an area because of X or the building code, as Sean mentioned, is the baseline, the minimum. Also, to your point, Amanda, I had great uh, George Siegel on the show, and he's like, oh, yeah, make um, sure that you do building codes for your home. And I'm like, How, where? Where do I find these building codes? So I'm now I'm going to contact Sean. Everybody on this podcast, 20,000 <laughs> managers are going to call Sean for building codes now. Yeah. But you guys are all talking about these concepts that historically don't match what emergency management was. I, I declared to NATO that traditional emergency management is dead. You're talking about future actions. You're talking about where we should be headed. Uh, so I, I'm going to go to Anne and maybe to Sean here. Future actions of emergency management. You have different backgrounds. You're tackling it all differently. You're talking about a collaborative environment. What do you like at the core of what your message is? What do you wish most from emergency managers right now? 
looking at the looking at the process holistically again it's going back to the same thing before during and after you know with with earthquake one of the challenges that we have is because you mentioned they don't happen very often and that affects the amount of funding that's available it's unlike other perils that happen seasonally earthquakes happen so far apart that we don't have a large sustained pool of funding dedicated to earthquakes we have to compete for that funding, there is a lot of money out there on the table, but what we really need to do is take a more strategic approach. And you know, there, just because we don't have that big pot of money right up front doesn't mean there aren't things that we can do. So looking, taking a, a, a different view of how to tackle the problem. So looking at doing an inventory, as I mentioned, that's, a, that's something that is applicable to all different types of hazards. And you know, thinking about um, bringing lots of different people to the table. Amanda has done this fantastic in, in her region, stringing together different sources of money for different elements of a project. So you could use BRIC or MEHERP funding, say, for uh, doing a, a hazard assessment. That goes into a building, a, a benefit cost analysis for a different type of project. There are a lot of different activities that, that can be funded um, pre-planning mitigation activities that can be funded that are that don't even require a BCA. So, mm -hmm. and by doing all of those little things at break, first of all, then you don't have this, oh my God, it's overwhelming of this huge thing I have to do all at once. It's this huge project. Breaking it up into smaller parts, you can bring more stakeholders in, you can spread out the, you can, you know, build participation and support. You, you, you get more people willing to keep the project going and take up different elements. So it's easier to achieve and you can, you can achieve more. You, you can bring in, you can amplify your efforts more is what I would say. So take, looking at it, not in that traditional sense of, oh, I have to put together one big giant application and solve the whole problem right now. Mm. Instead, start thinking about well, what are the, what are the, what are the, all of the different actions that are required and how can I start breaking that up and doing it incrementally so it's a little bit easier to accomplish. This is a, a really interesting theme um, that has happened in the last now four episodes. Every guest has brought up this theme of crawl, walk, run. They've, they've brought it up different ways, but whether it was building a, a, a community uh, a, a program or whether it's a, a tackling mitigation the right way, Thank you so much for all. I, now I know you really are experts because you're talking about mitigation the right way. Like incremental, incremental uh, achievement. Oh my gosh, the, the English majors in the room just just died inside. Like these, <laughs> Did you uh, just say incremental? <laughs> like changes that you can make are is huge, and um, I, I think that's that's kind of what emergency management is. Look at the resources you have available, and say with what's available, what can I do? Yeah. I also, so can you partner with? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, partner with. I also think it's really, really important when you're talking about partnering with people. Like, oh, hey, by the way, maybe we need to change our messaging on this a bit. Uh, again, I think one of the rare things that's helping out uh, 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 social media is knowledge that earthquakes happen all the time. Um, also, USGS has a really cool active map. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so going back on that same vein of innovative thinking of um, uh, for emergency management perspective, Sean, can you kind of round out some of your thoughts? You have the great shakeout behind you. What's the great shakeout perspective for the emergency manager? I think the great shakeout perspective, like it's 
at its heart, it's a preparedness drill where, you know, you should know how to do this when the time comes. It's like a smoke alarm. You, know, you, you hear, you know, there's an earthquake coming, you feel the shaking, you get an alert on your earthquake early warning app on the West Coast, like you drop down, get out of harm's way. So you realize in most modern buildings, while they're not going to be amazing after the earthquake, they're designed to save you. And so get down low. So the lights and the bookcases that maybe should have braced but didn't, um, get down low, go to seek shelter under a table and hold on. We know that that's okay. That's the default, but then it's, we've been talking more and more about and do one more thing. So maybe you say, okay, like when you're under the table, you know, look around and what could have fallen on you, but didn't, you know, is there a mirror uh, hanging up next to your desk? Is there, are there, do you have deer antlers over your bed for some reason? If so, you may want to take those down. Some reason. <laughs> I have seen pictures in the field. I'm not kidding. Um, but, um, and then also like some getting back to the last question too, I think there's this mentality of like, um, you know, in the past, the emergency managers, you know, you, you grab your cargo pants and you run out the door. It's like, whereas I grab my calculator when I run out the door, it's a different, field. but at the same time, like, I think like the core skill set for emergency managers is like, are you a communicator and can you collaborate and connect people? Like, I don't need to be an expert in search and rescue. I need to know who, who the guy or girl is to call. Like when there's liquefaction concerns, I call Anne. If I need to know about, about, uh, you know, zoning laws, I call Amanda. I think it's like, I think that is the core tenant. And while there's been this shift in the field to get a little more technical, a little more like, all right, let's think longer term and more holistically. I think that core skill set hasn't changed. And like um, many of your guests always say is, you know, the best time to share business card isn't at the disaster. You need to be doing that months and years ahead of time. And I think mitigation is a really good way to do that. And we try to, we're doing that in Utah. And, and I know Amanda's working on that with, with Anne for the Cascadia rising earthquake uh, scenario uh, exercise they're doing next year. Like the main, the real thing is when you say, okay, here's this exercise that's aimed at response planning and or which bridges are out and are the radios going to work? And then you have us in the corner being like, and hey, we know how to fix that. And so when you say, okay, like it'd be great if we get search and rescue this way, but we're going to lose five hours. We have to go around this way. And you see that all the time in exercises. And it's our job to be outspoken and say, and there's funds to fix that. So you don't have to worry about it. And I think more and more responses realized, hey, like, these guys we thought were nerds. Like I love our response folks because they loop me in on exercises and they say, Hey, Sean, like we're going to use this school parking lot as a staging site. It, are we at risk that the bricks are going to fall down or they were planning to use this as a shelter? Like, is there a concern there? And so I think we're more and more integrating. I think it's like all the best of emergency management of decades past is still with us. I'm like, you got to be able to be a people person and work together. And we're kind of getting more technical and more collaborative as we go. So I want to interrupt for a second, and I just want to put a plug in. So this, this is perfect. So um, <clears throat> because there is, <clears throat> excuse me, because there is this upcoming um, Cascadia yeah. Rising exercise um, in June of next year, um, FEMA Region 10 is hosting these quarterly like emergency management meetings. And we have one on the 26th and 27th of October. And on the 27th, and John, I will make sure I send a link so you can, and I'll, I'll post it on my, my LinkedIn as well. Um, but on the 27th, I am leading a series of different discussions that are talking about earthquake response and opportunities to improve, um, to inform response operations so that they are smoother, so that you um, can plan better, whether that's mitigating ahead of time or just making sure that hey, do you have a plan for all of the building inspectors that are supposed to be out doing inspections after the earthquake? And then what happens if there's an aftershock, which we know will happen? What has to get reinspected again? And how are you protecting the people doing search and rescue operations during that time? 
So um, October 27th, FEMA Region 10 risk meeting, awesome. open for all. Cool. And I will I definitely put that in our show notes. Uh, just send that over to me. Uh, and I wonder if I could just also add to what Sean and Amanda said. So Sean's got shakeout behind him and it's a scenario, as I mentioned before. But the thing I want to tell emergency managers too, is that scenario is a story, but it's not written in stone. And as a geologist, I can say that. So it means we do have the chance to change that. We can change that story. That's what mitigation is all about is here's what might happen if we don't do anything. But Amanda's made this point many times that, and Sean, Sean has too, that, you know, it, think, it, looking at, you know, when we invest in mitigation, you know, it, it's always hard to find money to fund things. But when we invest in mitigation, we know, and this is what our building science is documented, for every $1 you invest in mitigation ahead of time, you save, what, $6 at a minimum in, in repair costs going forward. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's, that's not chicken feed. And I'm, I'm all about the preparedness. <laughs> Don't be a chicken, be a little red hen, be prepared. So awesome. Uh, by the way, based off of your pun, um, geologists are so sick of all like the basic puns, but you really shouldn't take them for granted. Let me, let me bring it back real world here as we, as we round out this conversation. Um, yeah, obviously uh, a fan of, uh, the 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 great shakeout and great shakeout plus one uh great ideas about building codes and risk meetings and trying to move the community let me provide a real world scenario i'm going to back up to may this year um doberman emergency management uh has a relationship with disaster medical solutions big fan of their podcast solid responder joe hernandez is like the father of medical usar for the united states and he invited me to speak on emergency management best practice to use our counterparts because we we deployed them. It's good to know what they do. By virtue of being there, I was able to be in the rubble piles with them all week while they were talking about shifts to buildings and impacts to buildings and building codes matter. And two inches of movement, you hear a lot of screams essentially because that two inches means it's somebody who's impacted who's in the rubble pile. It's really scary stuff. You fast forward to July, a third of the people that were on the rubble pile training are now responding to Surfside building collapse. A firefighter, uh, we don't say his name, he um, unfortunately pulled out his own daughter out of the rubble pile. Okay, this is like really heavy stuff. So uh, again, social media teaching the world that things are happening in real time, building codes matter. I'm just trying to bring this all real time because an emergency manager, uh, I'm going to push back a little bit on Amanda, what she said. The actually the smartest person in the room is the emergency manager. If they know who all their stakeholders are, the smartest person in the room is the most clever and the most clever person in the room says, I'm not a structural engineer, but uh, I'm doing a dam assessment. So I'm going to be talking to army Corps of engineers. I don't work in the private sector. I don't have say of what they do, but I'm going to talk to the building manager. I'm going to do regular assessments. I'm going to work on building codes. I'm going to understand the difference between different types of hazards and how that impacts systems. And that's the smartest person in the room, right? So you guys are truly the smartest person in the room for dealing with earthquakes in your regions because hopefully you're able to connect people to the right, uh, the right areas. And, and you clearly articulated that today. Um, for those who are listening to the show, seriously, look at Surfside Building Collapse. Look at what happened in Haiti. 
for those NATO partners who possibly are listening to this show who came up to me because I was the only emergency manager guy there at their NATO conference. Like, oh my gosh, there's a 4.5 earthquake in LA. And they were all freaking out. I was like, man, this is nothing. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so like this, the real world stuff's happening. Mitigation should happen now. If you're an emergency manager and you're an earthquake country, or you don't know that you are even on other things like understanding how soil can impact roads. That's a whole other topic about sinkholes and that kind of stuff. There, earth matters, right? And earthquake <laughs> matters. And um, what uh, Anne and Sean and Amanda are talking about today uh, could really save a lot of people's lives. It, could, it, it impacts property, definitely, and absolutely continuity of operations. It's something to, to spend your time on. And I'm really adamant on that because I saw Surfside up close and it's near and dear to my heart right now to, to deal with this, especially while we're talking about it. So again, Amanda, thank you so much for bringing on Anne and Sean onto the show and for coming back. All three of you, thank you so much for taking the time. We've been paring down the episodes a little bit shorter, but it was, it were, we're longer now because you guys have really great inputs. And um, we hope that if you're an emergency manager listening to the three of them, that you uh, contact them. We'll put their, the information in the show notes or your specific FEMA region. You can also send a question to info at dobermanemg.com and uh, send us questions there and we can forward it on. But I'm actually gonna change the topic here really, really quick. I'm gonna let the three of them maybe answer their final call out of what they think is most important. And uh, we'll close it out from there. And we'll start with Amanda. Thanks. My, my final plug is, um, you know, because we are doing this for ShakeOut, um, ShakeOut is Earthquake Drill, October 21st, 1021, at 1021 a.m. local time. A really good exercise to just get people thinking about what to do in an earthquake. Start that conversation and bring the right people to the table. Perfect. Great. Or maybe under the table. <laughs> Bring the right people under the table. Yeah, not under the water though. That's messed up. Uh, Anne, thoughts? Final thoughts? Um, the, even again to, to talk about the shakeout theme. The it started with drop, cover, and hold on. But I, I do want to give another plug to their the way it's expanded, and there is now the secure your space. So segueing from again just in the moment to what can you do? What true mitigation can you do beforehand? So making sure you're Heavy appliances don't fall on you, making sure that you have a path, you know, from your, your bedroom out to your front door. So thinking in terms of not just drop cover and hold on, but look around your space, secure your space beforehand. Perfect. And Sean. And I would say, since they had shakeout covered nicely, I would say that I, I like in a lot of building codes and mitigation, like oil changes where, yeah, that they're expensive. But, you know, over time it adds up, but it sure is cheaper than having to buy a new car. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure lately in different states and local municipalities to, to get building codes and make them so buildings are cheaper and under the guise of being more affordable. And I think, I think it's, it's a red herring because short term, it's cheaper. Long term, it's much more expensive to have to rebuild buildings. And I've been on Mexico Beach days after Hurricane Michael made landfall. I'll tell you what, like the modern building codes, the buildings that were built to withstand modern disasters, those buildings stayed, but the ones that were built to weaker building codes or things that had gotten amended out back in the day that were fixed later, those buildings were gone. And, and I think that there's, there's this campaign to weaken building codes and just try to save a buck. 
And I think I think we all know long term that doesn't pay off, and then we're all on the hook just just to pay for it later. And so just stick with it and do the right thing and make your building stronger. I think that's also the message of uh, designing disaster tough communities. All three of you, what you're saying is like do the right thing now, mitigate now. If there's an event or there's an expert you can talk to, find out now. Don't wait. Yeah. Um, and and deal with uh, you. You have to deal with resources and you have to deal with a million different other projects if you're listening to the show. And we get that. But this this impacts the entire field of emergency management. And so, again, just finally, uh, thanks again, guys, so much for coming on the show and spending the, the last hour with me. And uh, we'll go take it from there. Uh, everybody, I'm turning my, my attention to the audience here for a second. Thank you so, so much for listening in. If you got something out of this episode, which you should have, because FEMA Region 10, 9, and 8 were all on here, and they're true experts. They've given you lots of different areas to dive down. So if you got something out of this episode, you got to give us that five-star rating and subscribe. It's lame, but we ask every time. It helps us understand our metrics. If you have a question for one of them, again, you go to the show notes. You could also, if you have the gravitas, and you know, go for it, um, look up uh, one of our social media channels, tag them or tag their, the FEMA and say like, Hey, I have a question about X. The community can help you answer the, the your questions. They can ha- answer your questions. If you do have a, a question that you need to go straight to them, of course, info at dobermanemg.com, and we'll see you next week.